Exploring Spiritual Questions podcast, Episode 6, Disease. Why is COVID-19 plaguing us? Hello, my name is Stephen Russell Lacey. We all know that natural things like viruses cause disease. Coronavirus results in symptoms of COVID-19. However, it's worth exploring whether there are reasons for why we suffer illness. So I will be asking whether disease is due to individual differences between people. Is it a direct consequence of industrialization? And is it indirectly anything to do with the ethical quality of humanity as a whole? And being concerned with deeper matters, I'm wondering whether spiritual theory might be able to help. Let's start with medical science. The Greek doctor Hippocrates was the first medic to believe disease is not a visitation of the gods. Instead, he thought it is caused by earthly influences. Since then, medicine has made tremendous strides. It understands many of the biological processes when disease develops in a person. So every doctor now knows about toxic bacteria. The effects range from causing trivial skin infections to devastating disorders like bubonic plague. Bacteria cause various types of pneumonia and meningitis. Government doctors tell us coronavirus is more easily caught than many other infections. It is more contagious. At the same time, Not everyone exposed to it gets the disease. It depends partly on the level of exposure. Also, resistance to any illness varies in line with our immunity, our age and our general medical condition. All play a role in determining whether a person becomes sick. The point is, we cannot fully understand disease just by a study of the biological processes. We also need to understand how to improve our resilience. Also, is it possible to understand the origin of the dangerous microbes and other toxic agents? Whilst medicine can often explain the process of development of disease, it doesn't understand these other factors too well. Is it possible to prevent harmful microbes existing in the first place? Isn't suffering a direct effect of human action? Well, clearly human suffering directly results from military combat and violent crime. Injury and disease can come from industrial conditions and pollution. Human manufacturing activity causes electrification sometimes, radiation, exposure to extreme temperature, and chemical poisoning. In fact, laboratories find odourless and tasteless compounds of arsenic in some plant sprays, 
paints and other household preparations. And let's not forget, most prescribed drugs have potentially harmful side effects. If taken in the wrong dosage or in the wrong conditions, morphine is an excellent drug for the control of severe pain, yet it can lower respiration and too much of it can cause death. On the other hand, industrial and technological activity doesn't cause many toxic agents. These are the many harmful viruses, bacteria, fungi and parasites we do find in the environment. Viruses may survive for some time in the soil, in water or in milk. They cannot multiply unless they invade living cells. There they may cause infection, but not disease. However, when they do cause disease, they can result in smallpox, in flu, in measles, mumps, encephalitis, warts, or the common cold. We may wonder why damaging microbes exist in nature in the first place. So are there any less obvious causes of disease other than microbes? In 1999, Glenn Hoddle had to resign as England football manager. Journalists and a government minister criticised him for expressing his view concerning people born with a disability. He said their disability was a punishment due to sins committed by them in a former life. The idea of sin sounds judgmental to many people these days, and critics pointed out that Hoddle was being unbelievably insensitive and hurtful. He had forgotten that Britain had some of the most talented disabled athletes in the world. It was as if he were blaming victims of disease for their own suffering. Yet actually, the England manager had been a person who had worked tirelessly on behalf of the disabled. Yet his belief didn't sound so very different from the fundamentalist notion that disease is God punishing sinners. A punitive concept of deity. It's interesting that people before the 18th century used the word illness to actually mean wickedness and depravity and immorality. These older meanings reflect the fact that the word ill is a contracted form of evil. These days, those views are often seen as unacceptable condemnation of those judged to have led less than ideal lifestyles. Religious people tend instead to have an image of God as a wise source of loving compassion. It is also possible to see the influence of the Eastern world idea of karma in Hoddle's thinking. Hindus and Buddhists tend to view one's actions as deciding one's fate in a future reincarnation. But we don't have to believe in reincarnation 
to acknowledge that it is possible to bring our own suffering on ourselves by what we each do. Misfortune can follow on in this life directly from our own mistakes and foolishness. So we can each make ourselves more at risk of disease. We can fail to wash properly, live in unsanitary conditions, have an entirely sedentary lifestyle, smoke, drink moderate amounts of alcohol or eat food to excess. But of course, we might as well point out that, even if true, this doesn't mean all illness and hardship is our own individual fault. If not, then the question then arises, has humanity brought a curse on itself? Well, this is an unacceptable idea for many people because a curse implies someone doing the cursing. I don't like this idea either. Having said that, a question arises linked to this sentiment. Could there actually be a connection between the general moral state of humanity and the existence of toxic microbes in the environment? In other words, could a selfish streak in us as a whole have automatic consequences in the physical dimension of nature? Nothing to do with a curse, but simply an automatic consequence of our state of mind. I know of one spiritual theory that does offer such a few. But hang on a minute, I hear you saying... Spiritual theory? Just how rational is it to invoke any concept of the spiritual? How reasonable is it to try to explain something natural, like disease, in terms of something spiritual, outside of and beyond nature? Indeed, many scientists dismiss all spiritual theory as invalid, because like so-called paranormal phenomena, they cannot research it with scientific methods. Actually, many think that spiritual and religious ideas about the world have been disproved by science. But before going along with that view, you might want to first consider something. This is whether the natural sciences can possibly understand everything. The rise in the holistic approach to health, including mind, body and spirit, is beginning to be more generally accepted. Writers and thinkers now see the relevance of psychological and spiritual issues to health, as do public health care services themselves. Interestingly, we use the word health in ordinary language not just to mean the physical body. Don't politicians speak of the health of the nation? Don't we refer to someone as having a healthy attitude or healthy state of mind? The human body and all its workings are something physical. Surgeons and nurses can touch, see and measure it. 
but consciousness of mind and spirit is something non-physical. It is not part of the material realm. Consciousness is subjective and not objectively observed. One cannot touch or measure subjectivity. Yet healthcare workers usually have no trouble appreciating the connection between body and mind, between body and consciousness, between health of the patient's body and their spirit. They recognise that consciousness clearly does affect the body. For example, negativity and pessimism of those people undergoing surgery is often accompanied by physiological complications, such as lowered resistance to infection. Also, emotional turmoil can cause ulcers or high blood pressure. Take away the psychological problem and the, bottom, and the body will have a much better chance to heal. In addition, the hectic pace of deadlines of the world without time for quiet reflection, trigger negative emotions. This weakens the immune system. Some malformations in the body, present at birth, congenital diseases, they result from cell mutations. These are apparently accidental alterations in the developing fetus or in inherited genes. Science cannot explain when and why many of these apparent random changes take place. And this is the point I'm trying to emphasise. Science cannot explain why harmful mutations and microbes exist in nature. The physicist Schrodinger put it this way. He said, the only way scientists can master the infinitely intricate problem of nature is to simplify it. And they do this by removing part of the problem. The part that scientists remove is themselves as conscious knowing subjects. Everything else, including the scientists' own bodies, as well as our bodies and as well as everything else in nature that can be objectively observed, all remain open to scientific investigation. Consequently, I would say that neuroscientists cannot explain human consciousness or human spirit, not even their own spirit of interest and inquiry. No wonder, then, they cannot account for human intention, which does, which does rely on consciousness. Likewise, Biology cannot accept intelligent design when looking at evolution. Yet even many people who are not devoutly religious acknowledge that the Spirit of God made the universe. According to this theology, a divine purpose creates the earth and human life on it. They do not emerge by accident. So what spiritual theory might actually explain disease? Immanuel Swedenborg's theory is one such possibility. Swedenborg was a scientist 
a mystic and a spiritual philosopher. He wrote about three concepts that I do think are relevant. The three ideas are firstly correspondence, secondly the spiritual world and thirdly influx. Correspondence, the spiritual world and influx. For him there was a dynamic result of these three factors combining together and I think they help formulate a spiritual theory of disease. He was concerned about the way the good and bad things exist in the, in the natural world and that these mirror a shared consciousness of everybody. So what did he mean by the concept of correspondence? Swedenborg gives numerous examples of how nature mirrors spirit. He suggests that gentle animals reflect the spirit of human kindness. Unkindness corresponds to fierce animals. Yes, there can be some horrible feelings around amongst us. Sometimes we can encounter spite, envy, greed, even malice. These, he thought of as symbolised by snakes, scorpions, lizards, crocodiles, as well as toxic and dangerous things of all kinds and poisons in both plants and soils. There is one particular example of correspondence between the common spirit of humanity and nature that is very relevant when we're thinking about COVID-19. I would say this concerns the inner tension between various conscious motives that we experience. The conflict between beneficial and harmful desires, between what is constructive and destructive. These are things of our spirit. Now, can we envisage how nature mirrors this clash of feelings? Is there not a biological battle between potentially dangerous toxins and our body's protective immune system? Don't antibodies fight with viruses? The battle in the body, to me, pictures the battle in the mind. This is but one example of the way the world of spirit and the world of nature might correspond together. What about then his idea of the spiritual world? Well, Swedenborg wrote in Latin, I think the phrase the world of spirit translates his idea of mundi spiritualis in a more helpful way in this context. We speak of a spirit of sportsmanship, a spirit of comradeship, a spirit of generosity, one of envy and so on. For him, the world of spirit is the source and origin of such emotional states. He says we will all eventually become directly conscious of a normally hidden realm, this spiritual world he refers to, what I'm calling the world of spirit. It happens, he says, if not before our bodily death, then certainly afterwards. 
I would say this is a usually veiled dimension of existence, comprising the spirit of those people alive in the world today, but also consisting of the spirit of all those humans long dead. Many people refer to these as spirits. This world of spirit, he says, consists of two separate general spheres. Firstly, a heavenly realm, which consists of the consciousness of countless people he calls angelic spirits. Well, he would use these terms, wouldn't he? Because he was writing nearly 300 years ago in a Christian culture. He was using words in common parlance at the time. Heaven, angels, hell and so on. Now, the higher spirits, the angelic spirits, he says, have a spirit of generosity, a spirit of kindness, and many other human virtues. A hellish sphere, he says, is made up of millions of individuals who have a spirit of meanness, a spirit of unkindness, and many other human vices. Perhaps this hellish spirit should not surprise us. We see in the media news of warfare, genocide, crime, social injustice, drug abuse, political corruption, and all sorts of social evil present within humanity. What Swedenborg saw in his altered state of consciousness, in his mystical state, what he saw was, a vivid, was vividly real to him, as vividly real as seeing physical things in ordinary life. He claimed that everything he saw in the world of spirit was a representation of people's inner states according to the correspondence between spirit and nature. So we see how two of his ideas tie together, the idea of correspondence and the idea of a world of spirit. The third idea then was that of influx. What did he mean by that? I'd like to explore the meaning of influx by considering the well-known mind-body problem. It has long been a puzzle to science and philosophy how consciousness of the mind can possibly affect the body. We know it can do this. For example, it is when we choose to lift our arm, then our arm raises. How can something non-physical, like a conscious decision, interact with something physical, like nerves and muscles? Another example is when prolonged concentration causes mental tiredness. Then physical fatigue actually envelops our body. A third example is when the mind has been under great emotional strain. Then the immune system weakens and the risk of stress-related of stress illness increases. So, the individual mind affects the body. When we remember this, is it not a bit easier to see how the world of spirit might affect the natural world? 
It would be the mind of humanity as a whole affecting our environment. This is what Swedenborg means by influx. This is his idea, that there is a mysterious inflow from the world of conscious spirit into the natural world. It causes a correspondence between the two. His notion that goodness of spirit can affect nature is in line with the religious teaching, the one the churches teach, that the divine spirit of God created and also maintains the universe. Likewise, I would say the conscious world of spirit channels this divine life into the physical world. The spirit of goodness feeds into the beauty, into the growth and healing found on our planet. But we need to notice two sides to the coin of influx. There is also distortion, corruption and even inversion of what is good and beautiful of divine life. Swedenborg experienced the presence of both kinds of desire in the world of spirit. The range of natural things, I would say, mirror this range of human consciousness. So, now you see the reason why I'm talking about these three Swedenborg concepts, correspondence, world of spirit, and influx. And I conclude that destructive desires present in the hidden realm of consciousness do cause harmful microbes and cell mutations in the natural world. One objection to this approach is that people say, well, there, are, there is vulnerability due to bodily disorder, not spiritual disorder. Well, okay, as I said before, Swedenborg was using Christian terminology to get his points across. He called the destructive sphere of the world of spirit hell. He went on to claim that usually influences from that sphere do not make us physically ill. That is to say, they don't do so unless there is already some natural condition within us which is conducive to it. For example, in his book Divine Love and Wisdom, section 341, he writes of the inflow from hell, activating things in places which answer to evil, such as decay, manure, corpses, and so on. Likewise, I would suggest that some conducive physical disorder in our individual body is necessary for this dark side of the mind of humanity to cause trouble. Only then can harmful fungi, only then can toxins and viruses and bacteria that are around in nature, only then can they result in the process of disease in the body. Disorderly states of the body conducive to disease include, for example, an unclean open, wind, an unclean open wound, or an injury to a limb, or internal organ, or a weakened immune system. All this doesn't mean all this is due to any unworthiness in us. We are all exposed to nature. 
the plague rains down on the good and bad alike. The presence of the pandemic is the outcome then of the general state of humanity, according to this approach. I would say the underlying cause of disease is instead a sphere of immorality in human beings as a whole, rather than simply natural phenomena themselves. So does this mean there is a curse on the world because of the humankind's sinful behaviour? No, not if we believe in a divine spirit of love trying to offset disease with healing. The inflow of healing from the world of spirit needs to be assisted by the work of doctors and nurses treating disease. Well, all this might or might not be true, you're thinking, but if so, how could we prevent disease? Well, we know that the body is more naturally resilient to illness if it is young and fit. Physicians can successfully immune us from some infectious disease by introducing substances into our bodies that help protect us from infection. And we know that our own immune system is more efficient if we are not suffering from emotional stress. But ultimately, I would say to get rid of disease, the world needs spiritual immunity. This would be when our world of spirit as a whole is morally more healthy. A very tall order, of course, and it's not going to happen overnight, is it? But this analysis I have been sharing might be correct. If so, then a reduction in the unkind spirit of destructiveness in the human spirit would reduce the presence of harmful things around us. And the inflow and sharing of more human compassion would result in a healthier planet for us all.